Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Chelsea. I'm Alicia. And this is Camp Final Girls. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. Just letting you know, it's time to record. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I want to thank Chelsea for taking over because I have COVID. So fun. Finally, two years in, it took her forever. Yep. Just kidding. I plan on never getting it. So yeah, it's really (laughs) kicking my ass. Yeah, and look at how good your vaccine is doing. Yeah, I guess for me, it's not doing much. It's just weird because, like, um, not only did you get the vaccine, but you got the second shot. Granted, you didn't get your booster, but still, like, two times for the same vaccine, and then you still get it. I just think it's weird. I, I, I don't know. because my immune's already compromised that anytime I get, remember I told you, anytime I get sick, it just really hits me. But I usually don't get sick often. But when I do, it hits me hard. Yeah, but everybody's getting like every time I hear somebody has COVID these days, I feel like I hear that they're also vaccinated. Yeah. Every time. Well, no, my whole family, they have it and they're not vaccinated. Well, yeah, but they've had it. This is the second time. My dad's never had it. He actually got it this time. Yeah. But if you think about it, like technically your family having it the first time and your dad surviving it the first time, that was kind of like them getting vaccinated. (laughs) I guess. Because that's all a vaccine is, is they pump you full of the virus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just crazy. Like after this long, it's still coming around. It's like, just well, they actually say that um, right now the United States has the highest cases in the world and it's the highest it's been since the pandemic even started. Yeah. I hear it. Like there's so many at home tests that aren't even available because people can't get them. Like people are just buying them at the stores and you can't get them anywhere. And, and now like when you take a test, it's taking even longer to get results because everybody's doing it now. I know. And did you hear about flu Rona? Yeah, I heard um, that people are getting the flu and the coronavirus. I know, but it's not even like they're getting both at the same time. It's literally like a mutated virus that's both of them. I wouldn't be surprised if I had that. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? You're so dramatic. (laughs) I am. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you heard this too, completely changing subjects all of a sudden, but Bob Saget just died. I did hear about that. That's crazy. That crazy. Yeah. I was like um, in the car getting Dion's earlier and I saw that and I was like on the phone with my sister and I was like, Maddie, Bob Saget just died. She's like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just think it's crazy because I feel like um, we just heard about Betty White and now Bob Saget and I'm just like, it always oh. comes in threes. Have you heard that? Yes, I have. Now, who's the third? I don't know. Who knows? It could be anybody. That's the thing. Scared. I mean, Betty White was 99, so she lived a long life. And Bob Saget was, a, what, 65? 65. Yeah, but the, the thing that, it's funny because my roommate, Janelle, she was like, 
um, yeah, but Betty White literally just did an interview saying how healthy she was and this and that. I'm like, I don't, I just think like no matter how healthy she was, she was pretty old, you know. Yeah. Like, and she died of natural causes, so obviously she could be super healthy, but you know, yeah. still took her. Well, I heard this thing, and I don't know if it's a hundred percent true. I'm not a doctor or anything, but I heard that like your heart only gets so many beats in a lifetime. And so that's why, like when you work out and your heartbeat raises, it's that while you're at a resting heart rate, it's less heartbeats. So like if you're out of shape or whatever, then your heart works harder. And and that's why you like go into heart failure and stuff. So, so maybe she more? ran. Yeah, maybe she just ran out of heartbeats at 99. Who knows? I guess. I mean, yeah, who knows? <laughs> Whenever we're going to go, it's our time. Could be 99, yep. could be 40, 50, 60. Who knows? Yeah, true. I mean, if I lived to 99, I would be happy if I was in good health. I don't want to be super old, though, and not be healthy like that. Would oh, yeah, I would definitely want to be healthy like her. Like, yeah. I would not want to live that long and be like in a wheelchair. To- crepid and not be able to function in life you know that's not a life to live no I know because um I just had we had a resident pass recently and she was older and it was just really sad because I know she had her health problems that like people were scared of for like the last couple of months and then yeah her um family came in this weekend to tell us that she passed and it's just like I just don't I don't know it's really sad when you hear about that stuff but it really is all about how you take care of yourself yeah for sure agree yes all right so this week I had to do an episode despite me not being prepared because I know thank you Alicia got the Rona and I felt like I don't know why I didn't plan for this sooner in the week because I assumed this was gonna happen or something else was gonna happen but literally Friday I was like wait so should I get notes ready (laughs) And you were like, yeah. And I was like, shoot. So all day yesterday, I prepared my notes, but I actually decided that not only this time is it going to be my first multi-parter episode, but I'm also doing a serial killer and I'm doing a serial killer couple. So I feel like it's going to be a fun and bumpy ride. Um, I've heard about this case uh, several times in um podcasts over the last couple of years that I've been listening to them but I didn't hear about it before and it's possibly because it did take place in kind of like the 90s like literally when I was born Mm -hmm. so that's probably why but a lot of people that I was like when I heard about this case I asked if they knew about it and they're like no what do you mean and it's it's a really crazy case and it's really dark and sad but it's like I don't know. I've been wanting to do serial killers for a while. They're a little bit intense and there's a lot that goes into them. And that's why this is going to be a Mm multi-parter. And also I saw um, a documentary that was on Discovery Plus and that like really helped me with my notes Mm -hmm. along with like other sources that I use. But that documentary goes pretty deep into it. It's a four-parter. So it's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I have to say I like documentaries because they really dig deep into them and give you a lot of information about them. Yeah. And they'll show you like actual footage of stuff and you get to see like Mm -hmm. experience it while they're talking about it because they'll have like pictures or videos or whatever. And this case actually 
has a lot of videos that go with it. And it's actually a part of how um, basically their whole story unravels is because they filmed a lot of their lives and they even filmed a lot of their crimes too. Mm. So I don't know if you've heard of them before, but I guess we'll find out right now. Um, This story is the story of the Ken and Barbie killers. It's um, Carla Homolka and Paul um, Brando. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, I remember you talking about it, but I don't know much about them. Okay, well, buckle up your bootstraps. (laughs) I should, I feel like I should change it and I should uh, make sure your bra clasp is on tight. For this one, don't let your titties get out of control to your reactions. Oh gosh, it's pretty crazy. Okay, so like I said, the story takes place in the '80s and '90s time, um, and it takes place in Canada around the Toronto area. So in Canada in 1986 is where Jennifer Black met Carla Homolka. They were working together at number one pet center in uh, St. Catharines. At the time, Carla was 15 and she had aspirations to be a veterinarian. Um, They were extremely close and would call each other's sisters. Carla was vibrant, young, and full of so much care and life. And she was basically, Jennifer was explaining that she was just so happy she was great with the animals and she had everything going on for her I know she was really young she was only 15 but she was ready to find Mr. Right she wanted that in her life um young it is young (laughs) so and then another source in this was his name was not given in the documentary because he said this case basically ruined his life for the last 30 years that because he's associated with this couple and so in the documentary he hit his face and he changed his name to mark so i'm gonna refer refer to him as mark but it's not his real name just Mm. an fyi but mark was a former friend of paul brando he said of paul that he was a young handsome and ambitious man mark remembers that the first time that he met paul he gave him such a strong like firm handshake that he's like it literally set the tone for his personality he was the type of person that like you meet him and you know that he has his shit together and he's very confident and he just exudes this personality that makes you like want him to like you Mm. he um commanded attention and was extremely captivating mark said that paul bought a video camera and wanted to start filming quite literally everything He wanted to make an impression and Mark thinks the reason why he recorded himself all the time is because he had like dreams that he would become famous one day. Let me tell you, he did. Oh gosh. (laughs) Okay. So um, Paul was going to school for accounting with Pricewaterhouse, wanting to get that six figure salary. Um, He just had dreams of making lots of money and doing really well in life. Um, Carla was 17 um, when there was a pet convention going on with one of their vendors in Scarborough, which is like a city outside of Toronto. Mm. They were staying in a hotel with Jennifer. Um, it was a couple of them. 
and the older women had their own hotel room and they let the younger girls get their um, own hotel room down the hall. And the older women didn't know this, but the two younger girls snuck down to the bar in the hotel. And this is where. So wait a minute. What happened to Carla's mom? Like, where's her parents in this? Oh, they're a part of it. Don't don't worry. Okay. Don't worry about that. They're a part of this. Um, So let me lose my spot. Okay. (laughs) They went down to the uh, hotel bar, which again, just remember, she's only 17 at this time. But It was the 80s. So I don't know. Um, this is where she met Paul, who um, was there also for a convention at the hotel. Within 20 minutes of meeting, they went upstairs to his room and did you know what? How old is he? <laughs> um, at the time, he was he was in his tw- early 20s. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So during this time, so they went up and they met. They had a good time and they pretty much became inseparable at this point. During this time in Scarborough, there was a rapist running rampant in the area. Um, he, <clears throat> so one of the first cases was at one o'clock in the morning, a young woman, a 17 year old girl got off of the Lawrence bus in East Scarborough. She was followed by a man. He grabbed her from behind, dragged her into a backyard and sexually assaulted her several times. He was described as blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white male. So Is that what Paul looked like? Yes. I feel like I should send you a picture of them because they're very, like, so 90s. Like, literally what you would picture a 90s, like, Ken and Barbie to look like. Mm -hmm. That's exactly them. Oh, okay. So, um, Philip Maskell was writing for the Toronto Star- And he covered the Scarborough rapist. He was a serial rapist that was terrorizing the area. And he was described in the news as the boy next door. Like you would never, when you saw him, you would never suspect he would be this vicious and horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. He got his victims to trust him by being charming and unassuming. Wow. Um, Detective Steve Irwin of the Toronto police was charged with the tax task force against the Scarborough rapist. Um, so at first the police were kind of like not taking it that seriously. <coughs> and then later on, as the attacks began to continue, they created this task force because they're like, okay, maybe it's a little bit more serious than we're thinking. Mm-hmm. Canada, I mean, in the first place is a very safe place and around the Scarborough area was just like a friendly neighborhood type place where you wouldn't expect this kind of stuff to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, Detective Steve Irwin was the youngest of the task force that was created. And when he went down to Scarborough to join this task force, he questioned if he even had enough experience to be thrown in with the higher ranking detectives, but they put him to work a lot because like I said, I don't think that they thought it was as serious as as it was at the time. And so they're just like, here, let's get this young detective, put him to work, see see what he finds. Because like I said, they just didn't take it seriously. Which you would think that they would. you You would hope, but I mean... A rape here, a rape there. At first, they're like, oh, well, 
yeah, that's bad, but they didn't think it was like as serious as it was. They should take every crime like that serious, and they don't. You would think so. Yeah, you you would think so. It was the 80s, 90s. It was a little different time back then. Yeah. But even now, I feel like it takes a lot for them to take things seriously. Yeah, it does. I mean, unfortunately, it's a fault in the system, but mm-hmm. so um, Irwin would take phone calls from victims and by talking to them, he learned that the rapist stalked and followed his victims for a while. Oh, wow. He would watch them through their window and he would take his time to really get to know his victims before he attacked them he would learn their habits like when they got home when they left in the morning and he would like watch them through their window and like just learn what he could about them Mm -hmm. so i'm like having a (coughs) throat attack right now i think you gave me the covid i did from (laughs) miles away miles and miles okay So, at this time, back to Paul and Carla, Paul was 23, and she was 17, and he's literally, like, swept her off her feet. He would buy her nice things and take her to, like, on trips and vacations, and she went, it's actually interesting, you see the pictures of her before she really got into this relationship, and she was just very average and She, you know, has short, dark hair and just wore very just average clothing. Mm -hmm. And when she started dating Paul, she just changed. She had this like long blonde hair and she would wear like really tight clothing. And she became like super flashy like he was. Okay. So she basically changed herself to be with him or make herself feel like. Well, Paul, like I said, he's this guy who exudes this energy. It's like um, masculine and just like very ambitious and this and that. And he had this fast, flashy lifestyle and she Mm. very much wanted to fit into that. Of course. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. And I mean, I only sent you one picture, but you look at him and he was a good looking guy. So she was just literally a good looking older guy. He swept her off of her feet. Oh, yeah. But, you know, if you think about it, I would not let my 17-year-old be with an older man. But then... I think it was the times. I don't know. Yeah. But then, mean, look, but then she's, what, a year from being 18? Mm-hmm. Then she's like, can date how, whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's just it's crazy. So they got super close, super fast. They did almost everything together. Um. I saw this really disturbing home video that they did. Cause like I said, he liked to film everything mm-hmm. and, and it was probably like, a really good manipulator too. Oh yeah. Very good manipulator. Like very good, almost like an actor, you know, like mm-hmm. just charm you into anything. But there was this video right before that he was going to take her to Disneyland and he shot this. It was like a role play kind of where he asked her, um, where are you going tomorrow, little girl? And she says, I'm going to Disneyland with Uncle Paul. Oh, yes. And he's like, are you excited? Do you want to meet Mickey Mouse? And she's like, yeah, I'm super excited. And I'm like, they're basically role playing that she's a little girl and he's her uncle. I thought that was super disturbing. That is. Also set the tone for their relationship. Mm -hmm. 
That he was uh, the dominant one? Yeah, he was just creating this fantasy and she was morphing right into it. Mm-hmm. Um, August 1989, two years after the first Scarborough rapist attack, um, the attacks were still happening. Usually the victims were teenagers or just slightly older, always super young. Um, usually the girls were leaving buses and making their way home and it continually to get more aggressive based on what the victims were saying. Mm-hmm. One victim even said when he was done with her, um, he broke her arm by stepping on it. Oh my like God. He just bro- stepped her on her arm and broke it. You um, have to have a lot of power for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, he, this rapist was very aggressive. He had this anger in him and he just put all his force into everything he did. Um, wow. He would shove clothing into their mouths and penetrate them in every way and with everything possible. He would use a knife, sticks, and of course his own genitalia, oh and he would degrade them, smearing them with dirt and rubbing their faces into the ground. He liked to degrade the women and make them tell him that he they loved him. Um, he often took their ID and ripped their hair out as a souvenir. <clears throat> um, he would rip hair out like from their head and like pubic hair too. he then would threaten them with death um because he wanted to instill fear in them basically saying like if you told anybody who i am i'm gonna kill you i'll kill your family that kind of stuff (coughs) that's crazy so um the task force began to grow against the rapist because i started to realize like this guy is getting more aggressive because we still haven't caught him in two years (laughs) um there was a hundred fifty thousand dollar reward and they just couldn't catch this guy um he felt like he was invincible and he told one of his victims i am the scarborough rapist and they'll never catch me oh wow so carla had two younger sisters Lori and Tammy and they were all young blonde beautiful and bubbly they were basically like one of their family friends described them as like a copy and paste they were all very similar mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> gosh so was Carla like the black sheep no no Mm-mm. Oh, okay. no she was she I don't think her parents really realized how bad of an influence Paul was on her they just they actually liked him so Mm. at first um their parents were Dorothy and Carl um and Carla lived in St. Catharines which was an hour and a half away from where Paul lived in Scarborough Mm. um Mark started dating her younger sister Lori um and over time he got to meet Carla and that's how he met Paul so Paul would make that hour and a half drive over to St. Catharines to go stay with um, Carla and her family. And he would sleep on the couch because he wasn't allowed to go down into Carla's basement room that she had in the house. But Mm -hmm. of course, after the parents went to bed, he would just sneak down there, Mm -hmm. spend the night with her and then come back up before the parents woke up in the morning. And her parents liked Paul, like I said, 
they thought that he had a lot of ambition and a good career and he seemed like just a really well put together guy um he later after they've been dating for a while he gained her parents trust and was able to eventually just sleep in bed with her so wasn't a thing anymore but when mark came over to see Lori, he wasn't given the same freedom he mm. wasn't even allowed to go into Lori's room oh wow so it was mark uh younger yeah okay. slightly younger because Lori was only like two years younger than carla oh okay um mark looked up to paul and thought that he was amazing and wanted to emulate him he's like this guy's got his shit together like her parents like him mm-hmm. i want to be like that so he really wanted to follow what Paul did. Mm-hmm. Um, May 1990, three years after the attacks had started, another woman gets attacked. Um, at two in the morning, Saturday, a young woman gets off a bus. While walking, a man came up and talked to her. He grabbed her, dragged her, tied her up, and raped her. This was the Scarborough rapist's eighth victim in three years. Oh wow! And but how, she, how have they not like found him? Like, did they have like a sketch oh, of him? Well, I'm gonna get to that actually, but I think that, like I said, he was just described as the boy next door. I mean, he looked like every other mm. normal, attractive guy. Never, he didn't really have too many traits that made him stand out. I think. Mm, okay. Um, uh, she, this victim, however, got a really good look at her attacker attacker because, um, basically she described when she got off the bus, he walked by her, was talking to her and she was just like looking at him, you know, getting a really good look mm-hmm. at his face. Um, so because of this, they finally got a sketch by Betty Clark, um, who's just a sketch artist and <clears throat> they spread it quickly through the media. The victim said that when she saw the drawing that Betty did of those eyes, it shook her to her core because she's like, those are the eyes that like got me to trust him. And Mm -hmm. then later, like I looked into while he attacked me. Mm. And this story was front page on every newspaper and there was a hotline created for it. And they literally received just hundreds of calls of tips and who people thought it was, but they just literally were still not getting anywhere. Yeah. So they did have a long list of suspects that they thought could be the Scarborough rapist. And at the time in the late nineties or late eighties, early nineties was when DNA was really making a lot of ground in the scientific industry. It was Mm -hmm. developing more. So they took samples from all these suspects that they had and were comparing it and they just, it wasn't getting them anywhere, but they were glad that they had that DNA so they could later use it if they found a suspect. Oh yeah. So police, even the task force just kept growing and growing and they started going door to door, knocking and just asking for any information. If anybody saw anything, just all and they would research every suspect that they had to see as far they would take each lead as far as they could until they just would hit dead ends dead Mm -hmm. ends and they didn't have anybody 
Um, once the sketch was released, however, no more attacks happened for months. And they wondered at that point, because nothing was happening, um, they didn't have any more leads. They wondered if maybe the suspect had died or gone to jail or moved. No, usually something happens in between. So yeah, sometimes serial, whatever, rapist, killers, sometimes they will take breaks. Mm-hmm. But I think when the sketch was released, I just think it scared him because now finally there was uh, a picture to this yeah. horror story that was happening. Yeah, that's true. So <clears throat> five months after the last attack of the Scarborough rapist was when Paul moved from Scarborough to St. Catharines to be closer to Carla. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole family seemed to love him, but his air of arrogance started to become more prevalent to them. They're just like, oh yeah, this guy really. It's probably the more he was himself. around. Yeah. Yeah. Very cocky. Yes, very. Um, Leanne Plato worked with Carla and <clears throat> at the Martindale Animal Hospital. She was 16 and Carla was 20 at this time. Um, she also wanted to be a vet and Carla was a vet tech. Um, she loved talking about her relationship with Paul to Leanne. And she said that she always talked about, oh, Paul, he's so amazing. He does this and that. And she's like, she literally made their relationship sound like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, though, her friends did notice that he became more controlling of her. After a while, Carla wasn't allowed to drive anymore, um, anywhere. He would come and drive her to and from work. And she couldn't go out anymore. And it slowly turned into him telling her when she could go places. And her friend Leanne said that if the phone rang and it was Paul, she literally had to stop what she was doing, no matter what it was, and talk to him because she was scared that he would get mad if she did it. And she sounds like a narcissist. It does. A (laughs) narcissist, like controlling, Mm -hmm. could get worse behavior. Well, it's crazy because it's like he love bombed her. And then Mm -hmm. once he got, got into her, he had that control and it was, it was done. And that's what they always do. They have to charm you at first. Otherwise you're not going to let it go further. Yeah. And after, uh, sorry, um, on Christmas of 1990 was the first Christmas that they spent together. Carla was so excited for Paul to be there and um, he was going to spend it with her and her family at their house. Uh, Tammy, her sister, the youngest sister, was 15 at the time. And even though she was so young, it was the holidays. So her parents told her, you know, you could have one or two drinks. And so Paul took advantage of this and he started giving her drinks. Um, he gave her one. She drank it. It was hard for her to drink because, you know, she's only 15, but she liked Mm. it. And so Mm. he gave her another one and he gave her another one. Oh, my God. Mark um, said that he received a call at two or three in the morning from a hysterical Lori. They had to call 911 at at midnight to like one o'clock in the morning because Carla and Paul were said that they had been sitting on the couch and they heard a noise behind them where Tammy had collapsed on the floor. Um, The way that Jennifer, the friend, explained what Carla told her, she said it. they looked over and it looked like Tammy's throat had expanded 
like there was a gas bubble in her throat and she kept yeah and she kept making noises like she was gonna throw up and so um basically what happened is Tammy had thrown up from drinking too much and she asphyxiated on her own vomit and Mm. she did die oh my god so Tammy died young and beautiful and healthy and it was such a sudden and shocking death that like Carla was literally so distraught by it and she and the whole family was sad and at the funeral Paul according to Mark was like so shaken by this and he was scared that he was going to get in trouble because he was the one that was giving her the alcohol basically wow and mark said to that at the funeral carla and paul were so distraught by the whole thing that people were told don't go up to them don't bother them let them mourn Mm. and this and that and there's a lot more to that story but i will tell you it later because that's pretty crazy Mm -hmm. um a month after tammy's death paul and carla decided to move into their own home in port Deleuze, which is actually still a part of um the area that she lived in it was just like right off the ocean it was a very beautiful area Mm -hmm. paul had good money and i mean you know he was going to school for accounting and all that stuff just hit my camera going to school for accounting and all that stuff but people weren't really sure where he got his money from but he had a lot of money and Mm. they got a really nice place together and this is where Carla was starting to get groomed Mm. for Paul to teach her that he was her one and only Mm-hmm. And this is when they started to really kick up the documenting everything. They always had their cameras on. They were recording everything that they would do. And Mark would come over with Lori all the time. He said that they would go over like two, three times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, they even got a dog. They got a Rottweiler named Buddy. And Paul didn't want a dog. Paul mm-hmm. said that dogs were messy. They were dirty. They cause problems but he said that he wanted to get a dog because he knew it would make Carla happy mm-hmm. <clears throat> but when Buddy because he was just a puppy would have accidents and like piss on the floor Paul would get pissed lose his temper and go lock the dog downstairs in the basement in his crate so <clears throat> just remember that because that does have significance later wow that's so sad look at my <laughs> how red my chest is <laughs> that's weird <clears throat> so one year after the scarborough rapist attacks um had stopped for a while a 14 year old girl named leslie McAfee goes missing she was seen as a troubled teen and she was just she would party all the time go out with friends super late and one night she came home late and her mother decided she had had enough so she locked the door and told her she couldn't come inside. So Leslie called a friend and she asked her if she could stay the night, but her parents said, no, she can't oh tell her to go gosh. home. And it's really sad because this is the last time anybody heard from her. I um, would never do that to my child. I wouldn't either, but I, I've never had a teenager. So I can't imagine, I can't imagine like getting to that boiling point with my kid. 
Mm-hmm. Granted, she was only 14 though. She was really young. I feel yeah. like that's young. If I were, um, if I were, I would just be like, go to grandma's house or go to grandpa's house. <laughs> be like, go but over there. Walk there. Well, by no. yourself. I would take him. <laughs> I mean, like I said, though, this is the early 90s, and I feel like things were different because I used to wander the neighborhoods when I was a kid. So yeah, that's true. So after her friend's parents told her, no, she can't stay the night, she's like, okay, whatever, I'll just go home and somebody is bound to open the door if I keep banging on it. So Mm -hmm. she just went home, according to her friend, but she never did come home. And everyone thought that she was just another runaway. They kept saying, oh, she'll come home eventually. And literally, it was so weird. Nobody took this seriously. She was just gone. And the police, even the police didn't take it seriously because they knew about her past. They're like, oh, she probably just mm-hmm. went somewhere. She's going to come back. It's going to be fine. So June 29th, 1991, two weeks after Leslie's disappearance, Paul and Carla got married. A lot of people thought it was too soon after Tammy's death, but Paul thought it's been six months. The show must go on. Mm-hmm. What are we supposed to just continue to grieve and mourn? And um, so they got married and their wedding was lavish. Like Carla wore this big white puffy dress. There were like glitz and glam all over their wedding. And there were mm. seven bridesmaids. Like it was a huge deal, their wedding. Oh, wow. And um, on the same day in Niagara, Canada at Lake Gibson, um, just 18 miles away, a dismembered body was discovered encased in cement by Bill Greco, who was out on his canoe on a beautiful day. He said that that day it was just so beautiful out that the water was so clear and just two feet off the shore, he could see these blocks of concrete. And he said one of them had like a crack in it. And so he was like poking it with his paddle. And Mm -hmm. he's like, he saw what looked like blood on the side. And he's like, well, that's weird. What's that? And he kept poking it and he saw something pink. And he's like, is that like a fish or something? Like, what is that? Mm. And he realized it wasn't, it was a foot. Oh my God. And he, um, said that like to this day, um, he like just remembers it so vividly that it makes him stick, sick to his stomach because he's like, I was not expecting to see something like that. Yeah. Um, while at the wedding, people were were in the bar and saw the story on the news. While discussing this, they said that there's no way that it was somebody local because everybody who lives there knows that the lake um, drops a few feet every summer. And if they were going to dispose of a body then it would be found because the mm-hmm. water would sink. Yeah. Um, detectives to this day regret not taking Leslie's disappearance more seriously. And everybody was shocked and terrified to discover that those were her remains. Mm-hmm. As time continued, Leanne was continued working with Carla and um, Paul slowly began to build his conversations every time he would come in to drop and pick up Carla off at work. Mm -hmm. He started casual with Leanne, like asking how she was. And then he would slowly go into who she was dating 
um, if she was still with this guy or that guy. And it became slowly more personal. And remember, she was still super, I think she was, how old did I say 17 at this time? And Carla was 20. So she was Mm -hmm. a younger girl. Mm -hmm. And Paul was kind of creeping her out. And he asked her one day if she would like to come hang out with them at their house. And she, like I said, she felt like he was being kind of creepy and he kept asking and she just thought it was inappropriate because they were older than her. And so she would just come up with excuses about why she couldn't hang out with them. Mm -hmm. Um, April 16th, 1992, nine months after Leslie's murder, 15 year old Kristen French was abducted from the lawn of a church on her way home from school at about 2.45 p.m. She was last seen in her school uniform, a green plaid skirt and a green sweater. When she went, uh, when they went on the scene, her mother found her shoe and they knew something bad had happened. Mm -hmm. Scott Burnside was a reporter at the time. And he said that reporters were assigned to just go to St. Catherine's and find out about the abduction of Kristen. It like became like, he's, he's like, basically they told reporters to go and be detectives because they knew this story of the Scarborough rapist was probably growing into mm-hmm. something more sinister. Okay. Um, so they, they, they thought that he became the killer and not just. A yeah. Rapist. Because they're like, what are the chances of these young girls in Scarborough getting raped and raped and then raped and then it stops and then all of a sudden one girl goes missing around mm-hmm. that age and now here's a whole other another girl that same age goes missing mm-hmm. um witnesses said that they saw a car with um two people pull up and they saw Kristen struggle with their her captors until they dragged her into the car so now they're like okay so witness several witnesses saw that it wasn't just one person now it yeah. was two people. Mm. Um, 2,200 people were gathered to search for Kristen. And her parents made a public cry asking for help and for Kristen to be brought home. <clears throat> During the search, they found articles of clothing, but they couldn't be tied to the case. So despite their efforts, they just they didn't have any suspects or leads. There was a vigil that was happening when Leanne was at work talking to Carla about how devastating the disappearance was. And Carla was agreeing. She's like, yeah, it's so horrible. She's so young. After what happened to Leslie, like, I hope she's, you know, okay. And this and that. And so Leanne's like, well, do you want to go to the vigil with me later tonight? She's like, yeah, that's a good idea. So she went. Mm -hmm. Um, April 30th of 1922, two weeks after Kristen's disappearance, her body was found face down, curled up in the fetal position, naked, and her hair was cut. So she was literally found like not, not even that far off of the road. So very different way than how Leslie was found, which is weird. Usually like killers have an MO of how they kill people and also how they get rid of the bodies mm-hmm. it was kind of weird yeah <clears throat> um but so when det- you said that uh they said she was struggling with their captors yeah so did anybody see like what kind of car or any of that 
Yeah, they gave a full description of what the car looked like and what they thought the people in the car looked like, but they couldn't see. Most of the witnesses were pretty far away. And what mm-hmm. they said is that it looked like this car pulled up. They had were having a discussion with Kristen, and then they started like getting more aggressive until eventually they just pulled her in the car. So oh, okay. they did, and they released all of that information. Yes. Oh, okay. So um detectives and it didn't say what it was but detectives did tie something in both autopsy reports that tied the victims together which I'll tell you what it is later. Mm-hmm. They didn't release it at first and I think it was, you know, a tactic because yeah. if somebody confessed then they could be like, you know, what happened and then if they said it then they know, okay, yeah, yeah. it was you mm-hmm. who did it too put these victims mm-hmm. and also um the geography of where the bodies were found made them tie those deaths together oh, okay um fear spread in st Catharines as people refused to go out alone they were terrified like women were scared to like walk around get off a bus and go home like they normally were doing mm-hmm. they were terrified to do now mark said um at this time, he went over to Paul and Carla's one day to hang out. Paul asked him if he wanted to drink, and he said, sure. So Paul told Carla to bring a drink for him. It was like a, a vodka soda, I think. Mm-hmm. She brought it and handed it to Mark, and Mark said instantly Paul stood up and backhanded Carla so hard in the face that it like almost sent her like flying across the room. Oh my God. Um, he then went with Carla into the kitchen and was yelling and Mark could hear. He was saying, when we have guests over at this house, you are to serve them properly. And what he meant was she was supposed to put the drink on a silver platter with a napkin underneath. So what? she, yeah. So she did that and she brought the drink back out to Mark and Mark tried to defend Carla saying, Hey, it's okay. I don't need her to do this. And part Paul told him, shut the fuck up. This is my house and I will have things handled the way I want to handle them. Oh my God. And when Carla was handing him the drink, she was like crying. Um, friends and family started to notice that she started dressing different. Um, she covered up more and some friends said that when she didn't cover up enough they would notice um, marks and bruises on her body and she would always come up with excuses for her injuries until finally one day Paul beat her so bad that she went into the police station because she had enough she went in and her eyes were so black that you almost couldn't see them and they were like sealed shut um police had no clue when they pulled her back and asked her to you know tell tell them what happened that while she was at the police station carla would admit that her husband was the one who murdered leslie and Kristen. she told them that paul actually record recorded the assaults on these two girls and the murders as well so there's videotapes of them Uh Carla said she wanted to do everything in her power to help them lock Paul up. She said that she wanted him to rot in prison for a long time because dying was too easy of a nap for him. And that is where 
I'm going to end part one. That's crazy. And it gets crazier. You think that's crazy? It gets crazier because I feel like I should send you to the pictures. Like when I saw um, the pictures of her coming into the police station and I'm taking pictures of her injuries, mm-hmm. they were bad. But usually it takes that, like it takes pretty a lot for them to say enough is enough. Yeah. And 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 even then it doesn't always happen. Yeah. And you'll see because this is only part one and I think it's only going to be two parts, but there's a lot more to this story Mm -hmm. than meets the eye. And I mean, granted, I know that Carla was in a very abusive relationship, but she wasn't as innocent as she leads on. And she had more to do with these incidents then I think she's letting on Mm -hmm. and but if you think about it he started with her when she was 17 you're still innocent and don't know much about the world and you know yeah he was only 23 though which I know it's older but he's still young too like they're both young and they're both impressionable but he definitely had that personality of like Mm -hmm. I'm going to get what I want, do what I want. And he found Carla who was willing to follow him. And I mean, like I said, this story, this is only just the beginning. Like this story gets pretty crazy and it's really sad, but I feel like, I don't know. I've, I've never been in a situation like that. I've never been in an abusive relationship or, or a controlling relationship because I feel like part of it comes from your constitution as a person. Like, I feel like I have a strong constitution and I just wouldn't allow a man to treat me like that mm-hmm. to an extent. I mean, yeah, I've let men do some pretty terrible things, but when <clears throat> she was young and she was impressionable and this amazing, gorgeous man comes and sweeps her off of her feet. But what you'll learn later, what he allows, like what she allows him to do and what she becomes a part of I just feel like no matter how young or how like in love you are, I just don't feel like it's normal. But yeah, I agree. She had to have some kind of messed up mind for her to go along with it. Yeah. And like it, like I said, you'll hear later what her part in what happened is, and it's more than meets the eye. And there is a lot of speculation about this case, even to this day, mm-hmm. but it's, <clears throat> it's just such an interesting one to me because a lot of it's on tape. And so it's like, she tries to defend herself and stuff, but there's literally recordings of it. So it's like, I don't know if she was scared for her own safety or whatever, but if she was, why didn't she go to the police? Oh wait, she did. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like she could have gone a lot earlier or, Oh, yeah. Especially once she found out from the beginning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this and I think she knew a lot more than she's letting on earlier mm-hmm. than when she claims she does. And like I said, we, we'll get into the court case and more stuff will come out. And I think it's going to blow your mind because it blew mine when I heard this. And this story kind of stuck with me because it was so disturbing and mm-hmm. disgusting. 
and it like shook me to my core and like rehearing it again I was like oh my gosh I forgot how crazy the story was but and like I said this is only part one so it's only the beginning like <clears throat> literally the documentary is four parts and like each part is an hour so yeah it's a lot a lot goes into this and there's mm-hmm tapes and recordings and I'll tell you where they are today okay it's gonna blow your mind <laughs> I have to watch it after 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 don't after. watch it right now I will kill you <laughs> no I won't I'll watch it after <laughs> okay crazy, you'll be like, though. yeah I just think it's crazy like to a part of it is like the whole time that this like rapist stuff is going on she's dating him and like yeah. she doesn't notice you know mm-hmm. and then they release the sketch and she's not like oh that looks just like him yeah I just I always hear stories about like people living double lives and their f- family never knew or maybe they were in denial mm-hmm. but I imagine finding out that someone you loved was doing something like this but not only that for Carla, but she also eventually becomes a part of it. Yeah, there's got to be red flags, obviously. You know, there's always, always. Yeah. It, there's, you can only charm your way for so long, but there's got to be red flags. Yeah. Of some and, sort. Uh, ha- yeah. And uh, I mean, I've, I know of women who would let men do a lot of bad things to them and they weren't even good looking. So I can only imagine for Carlo when Paul was actually pretty good looking, like, mm-hmm. but the things that she does for him, I'm just like, girl, I don't You're care like, what he looks are like. Dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. But yeah, that's part one. <laughs> I'm excited to do a multi-parter episode and a serial killer episode and a couples episode. Like I haven't oh, yeah. done any of those things and it's pretty exciting. Um, so hopefully it goes well. <laughs> yeah, I've been wanting to do serial killers too. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it kind of sucks though, because it's not about them. It's about the victims, you yeah. know? But oh, yeah, it just, but it, to me too, not only is it about, about the victims, but it's also about like, like putting out the information out there about like how depraved people can be mm-hmm. and that we just need to be, more careful as a society not to trust people like you could be a good looking accountant boy next door very like charming and also be a serial killer or serial rapist or whatever like Mm -hmm. just because somebody seems like they have their shit together doesn't mean that they do yeah exactly scary could be sinister very Mm -hmm. what lies beneath the surface oh yeah you never know definitely never know Okay, but I'm excited to, uh, I, for this first part, I kind of just like used two sources, but I think for the next part, I'm going to use a little bit more because the mm-hmm. story just goes so deep and it's Oh yeah, for crazy. sure. Crazy, but thanks for attending, even though you got the Rona. Well, thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. And it's going to be a multi-parter, mm. so you can have another break i know <laughs> i'm excited about that <laughs> but your notes for your next episode better be damn good oh yeah <laughs> you're just sitting at home all day so oh, no in your pain and misery no i'm sleeping most of the day so <laughs> but hopefully this next week i'll be better you know yeah i 
Yeah. I just think it's crazy how much it's affecting you and you're vaccinated. Like that's what really gets me. Oh no, trust me. I had a coworker who had it. She's like, oh yeah, I didn't have any symptoms. I'm like, well, I got a lot of symptoms. So I'm like, Was she I don't vaccinated? Know. Yeah. Everybody at my work is. See, and that's my point too, is like, people will say like, oh, um, like my symptoms weren't that bad. Imagine if I wasn't vaccinated, but then I hear people who aren't vaccinated and get it and their symptoms aren't as bad as yours. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows? Like, honestly, no one really knows. It's, it's everyone's health is different. Mm-hmm. so you never know it doesn't matter if you are or you're not I mean it could COVID hit you. doesn't discriminate no it just dis- discriminates against your immune system I guess yep <laughs> if you have a weak one mm-hmm. well I hope you feel better thank you I I, <laughs> I want to feel better trust me when do you when are you going to test again like what is your timeline of like trying to get back to normal uh I don't know I talked to my boss and they just basically when I feel better when I don't have symptoms because they don't want me back at work with, you know, feeling sick. So um, we just kind of take it day by day. It's just, it's interesting to me because like, according to CDC regulations now, the um, quarantine time is only five days and they'll allow like nurses to come back if it's been five days, yeah. whether they're positive or not. Well, so the thing about being positive is you can test for it for up to like three months. Yeah, ninety yeah. days. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's because it it detects the dead virus. The only thing that's really accurate is the at home test because it tests the antigen of the live virus. So that's hard because a lot of places don't take that. They only want lab tests, but it's like if it's still in your system. You're going to still test positive. Well, yeah, but as long (laughs) as you don't have symptoms, then, you know, but they won't allow nurses to work who aren't vaccinated, but they'll let nurses work who are testing positive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my sister's a nurse and she like confirmed that's true. That's crazy. It's it's so crazy to me because I'm like, what like and they were when she got sick she got tested for COVID and she was coughing for like three weeks straight and she tested for it and it was negative and they told her okay come back to work and she's like I'm gonna be coughing like patients aren't gonna want to like interact with me if I'm coughing whether I'm negative or not they're gonna Mm -hmm. feel so uncomfortable just as gosh I've been coughing a lot this episode I really (laughs) think you gave it to me (laughs) Thank you. Gave it to me from a thousand miles away. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I better go because I have work in the morning. Unlike some people I know. <laughs> I don't know who. <laughs> but I All love right. you, and I hope you feel better. You. And you Thank better you. edit the shit out of this episode. Oh gosh. All right. Thank you, everyone, <laughs> for listening. Thank you, you guys. Stay safe and healthy out there. Yes. And goodbye. Goodbye.